the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, why would there be some politicians against a commission looking at the Capitol insurrection? And then this, do we really believe that church is necessary? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. We made it. We made it to the end of the week. It's Friday. It is Friday. The weekend is upon us. It is beautiful outside. We are glad that you're joining us today here on The Common Good. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Aubrey Sampson. But man, I I did. I feel good. I feel good that we've reached the weekend. I think it's because the weather's good. Lots of good plans ahead of us. And also for the fact that here in a little bit, we're going to do another top five list, which is really turned into my favorite part of our I show. agree. I feel like uh, one time one day we need to do a show that's like only top 5 lists cuz they Ooh. they're pretty entertaining. They're pretty they enjoyable. Really are. Yeah. What if we turn our entire show into top 5? Lists? <laughs> okay. That, would that could be, be our spinoff podcast or something. There you go. Yeah. So a top five list. And I don't know Aubrey's answers to it. I just know that I'll probably disagree with them and they'll be a bit ridiculous. No, Brian's, <laughs> Brian's will be weird and out there. So that's coming on later today, but we've got a great show ahead of us. We're going to ask some questions later. Like, do we really believe after 15 months, a lot of us not in church, a lot of us uh, watching online or the, do we really believe church is still necessary? Aubrey and I are both pastors. I think we've got some strong opinions about that, but we wonder what people out there are thinking. Do we believe that church is necessary? And then we're going to talk about some spiritual practices uh, what is it that helps us grow closer to God? What are some of those spiritual disciplines, those practices uh, that that are normal, but also that maybe we do? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, Aubrey, I wanted to start a little newsy and talk about the January 6th. Um, I don't know. What do we call it? A terrorist attack and insurrection right, right. at the Capitol. And uh, I think we all remember those images and, mm-hmm. and the tension we felt and the fear. Like you watch that on the news in real time. Uh, and it's one of those, where were you in those moments? Yes. You remember what was going on. And, um, you know, as with anything, 9-11 or whatever else, what tends to happen then is a commission is launched. Congress launches a commission to try to get at why did this happen? Right. What can we learn from that? Does anybody need to be held accountable? Are there charges? Whatever else it might be. One of the things that I've appreciated is that the FBI and other organizations have been painstakingly trying to arrest people uh, who were who were part. You'll see it on Twitter, right? Here's a still shot. If anybody knows who this person is. And I'm like, good, let's let's round up as many as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, But here is probably something that I find disappointing, but not surprising, is that not everybody is excited about a commission. Not everybody is excited about going back to looking January 6th and saying uh, what happened, what can we learn, who needs to be held responsible. And again, not surprisingly, it is breaking down around partisan lines right. and especially in Congress with those people who are more 
in line with kind of the more cons- far conservative, farther right, uh, big proponents of President Trump. Uh, they seem to be really holding up and saying, no, we don't need to do this. Now, if you believe Mitch McConnell, he says he's against this because it's already partisan. Right. There's already it's a witch hunt. OK, you could take him at his word and believe that. Uh, but what seems to be passing along party lines right now through Congress is a bipartisan commission split between Republicans and Democrats as to uh, whether this is happening. And before I get your take on it, I want you to hear something fascinating. This is D- a Democratic Congressman. Tim Ryan, he went on to the House floor in the debate about this uh, and very passionately shared his opinion. Listen to what he had to say. I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship to the other 90 percent of our friends on the other side of the aisle. Holy cow. Incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Benghazi, you guys chased the former secretary of state all over the country spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank and file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. All right, Aubrey, lots of passion around Mm -hmm. this right now. I, quite frankly, don't understand why we wouldn't be getting a commission. I understand we want to work to make it bipartisan. We don't want to make this a divisive thing. But in my world, it feels like something as big as what happened on January 6th. We need some answers and we need some investigating. I'm with you, Brian. It's hard for me to understand any opposition to this because this is an act of terrorism on our own soil. And so it's, yeah, I'm really struggling to understand. I'm with you. Let's make sure it's as bipartisan as possible. Let's make sure we don't already feel like we have an answer before the investigation. But I think we can do that. I mean, I I, I think we can get a commission in there that can investigate and find out truly what happened, how it happened, who was involved. And there needs to be some type of penalty for it. I, it, it's, it, it really is. I mean, I don't even have words because it's mind blowing to me that anyone would be opposed to this. It really is. And again, I understand neither you nor I are so naive to not know that this can be used for political gain. And that's why certain people yes. don't want it out there. Right. right? Absolutely. Like, there, I understand there are certain people who want this just in our rearview mirror. Let's move forward. But like you said, it was a literal insurrection, no matter what that congressman the other day who tried to call it a normal t- uh, tourist visit. Right. That was just laughable. Right. But I, I'm a I'm a Republican. Right. I, yeah. I tend to vote. Uh, I not tend to. I almost exclusively vote Republican. Yeah. And I'm going, uh, we got to find out what happened. This can't ever happen. It can't again happen again. Right. Not only can't it happen again, but I saw another congressman, a Republican congressman who made the point. Uh, other countries who aren't in, uh, who aren't proponents of democracy not only can use this against us, but are also using what happened as Janu- on January 6th to explain why democracy is a bad thing and oh, why it doesn't wow, work. Wow, wow! And so we, I just believe, as a democratic, as a as a free country that that is 
we need to go, no, no, we need to look at this and make sure this never, ever happens again. We need to put partisan politics aside. Yeah. We need to put the divisions to aside. If you want the commission to be equally between Republicans and Democrats, if you want to let the Republican leadership choose the Republicans mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. go in the commission, I'm great with that. Totally. But to try to go, hey, let's just let bygones be bygones and move on. Not only sounds ridiculous, it really feels dangerous to me. I think it feels completely irresponsible. I, you know, we're again, I mean, we're talking about literally an insurrection on our capital. It's like this wasn't just some punk kid showing up at Target doing something dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, like yes. this was a massive moment in history. And I will say this, Brian, my anniversary is January 6th. I think I told is you it? that before. And now, Anytime people talk about January 6th, this is what they're talking about, which doesn't imp- all that to say, this is now a moment in history. And if That's we right. pretend like it wasn't as serious as it was, then I think we're allowing for more and more of these types of insane activities, violent activities, scary activities to happen again. That's right. So that's politics with Brian and Aubrey. I just think <laughs> sometimes I think I'm losing my mind, like going, like, wait, this seems like something everybody like should obvious, be behind. right? Right. So anyway, uh, as an aside, your anniversary is January 6th. My son's birthday is September the 11th. Oh, no, really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, that's how people react. I always like to say he re- he helped redeem the day. Yeah, that's obviously, right. That's right. It, you know, it was it, he was born in 2007. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, but yes, his birthday is on September the 11th. Wow. So. Yep. Well, off and running here on a Friday. Coming up next, we want to ask this question. Now that we've been out of church for 15 months, for a lot of people, it's been weird. As things get back to normal, do people, do we really believe that church is necessary or has it all changed post-pandemic? We're going to have that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Hope you got big plans for the weekend. I'm sure the Sampsons will be eating food and watching movies. The Fromms will be watching baseball games. It's, it's kind of rinse, repeat, right? I feel like you know us so well that you know <laughs> what we're doing tonight. Yep. But I like it. It's good. It's good. It's just kind of what we do. It feels like every weekend we kind of do, but they're awesome. They're and like it's rhythms really that you celebrate. They're traditions. That is the case. If you've missed any of the shows this week, let me point you to where you can get them. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. You can also find our podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us out. It helps people find the podcast. Also, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, not yet TikTok, but maybe coming it's one of coming, these days. It's coming. At Common Good Talk. And uh, you can find all of our content at those places. All right, Aubrey, we're talking about the weekend. Yep. There is something that a lot of us have grown up doing. We do all the time on the weekend, and that is going to church. Go to church. That's right. And that's been different in COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people... Uh, never stopped going to church, but mm-hmm. most churches took a pause. Yep. Uh, everybody got online, and now it feels like uh, whether it's a church like yours, I know that was a lot slower than others because of where your building is. <laughs> we and don't stuff have like a that. building, yeah. Exactly. Yes. exactly. <laughs> People already thought you guys were making a stand, and we've got nowhere to meet. <laughs> we, just, we don't have an option. <laughs> <laughs> or you're like our church where we've been doing signups, but now we're not going to do signups. Like we're kind of moving yeah. now, but it's yeah. starting to feel more and more normal. Yes. Uh, but here's the question that you and your husband, as pastors, have. I have a pastor. All the church leaders out there have, uh, and it's this. 
Uh, is anybody coming back? <laughs> Are the people, especially the people that we haven't seen for 14 months. Right. Or haven't heard from. Haven't yeah. heard from, from for 14 months. And let me put past you. And I actually saw this at Patheos. Uh, it asked this, the COVID-19 test, do we really believe church is necessary? Uh, let me float one of my working theories right now okay, that, that kind of this kind of talks about. One of my working theories, and I need you to tell me if I'm right or wrong and why. Uh, I like it, that I have that kind of power over your you life. You do. I didn't say I will accept it. <laughs> you uh, just want to know. Here's the question. Uh, I'm a believer, as I talk to more and more people and kind of look at the landscape, that the issue is not, are people not going to come back to your church because they're going to another church? Okay. That they've taken COVID and said, you know what? I kind of want to go try that church out or do that. I am starting to believe that the question is, not everybody, but there's a segment of all of our churches. Are they coming back to our church or are they not coming back to church at all? Mm. And here's why I say that. I don't think people are leaving the faith. I don't think they're going, I don't believe any of this. I think, I'm not saying that I agree with this, but I think on some level people have gone, you know what? I've been without a regular church experience, Mm -hmm. without the community I was used to. They still might have been meeting over Zoom, but what I was used to. But specifically the Sunday morning experience, I've yeah. been without that for like 14 months. Right. I still believe in Jesus. I Maybe I still read my Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after 14 months, my life feels okay. Like I'm fine. Like I, I was led <laughs> to believe this whole time you need to be in church or your life is going to kind yeah. of implode. I know yeah. none of us have ever said that from the front. But uh, so you need to be in church. Right. And now people have not been able to be in church, right. especially, I think, younger generations. And they're going, is there value in this anymore? Kind of enjoyed not getting up on Sunday. Yeah, enjoyed or, the weekend, right? Enjoyed or, the rest. Uh, my relationship with Jesus feels fine to me. Mm. My family feels good. In fact, now yeah. we have more time together. I've been led to believe that all these things would crumble if I wasn't involved in a church. And now I haven't really been involved in a church and I'm doing okay. And so because of that, I think the ne- the step for people becomes not, oh, then I better go find a new church, but might be. So why go back to Do church I need at all? A church? So I don't yeah. believe that people are giving up their faith. Yeah, I want to be, I I be I clear that. about that. But I do I, I wonder, I worry uh-huh. that people might be giving up and not believing in the necessity of church. And yeah. now other things are opening up. You know, yeah. you can go out to breakfast or your kids got sports. Right. Or this, and and right. they're going, you know what? Church may or may not work. What? And that's what Pathios writes about here, that the COVID-19 test is, do we actually believe that church is necessary? So right. I talked a lot there laying out my hypothesis. Uh, agree, disagree. What do you think about this? I certainly, I certainly think it'll be interesting to see what the percentage of percentage is of people who have decided that church is no longer like Sunday morning church is no longer important for them or they don't see the value of it anymore. And, you know, you have kind of seen that in life where that old saying where people would say, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. Or, I mm-hmm. believe in Jesus. I just don't go to church. But I do think it begs the question, what is church? Yes. Right. Because if church is just a place you go on Sunday mornings, then sure, maybe you don't need to go to that place on Sunday mornings. But if church is instead a community that you're a part of, a body of believers, if it's a place where you practice the sacraments with other Christians, if mm. it's a place where you're growing together, if it's a place where you're serving, and that's a different conversation about what the church is, right? Like we're yes. like you know, we're told to never give up on gathering together in scripture. And so I 
you know, I think the interesting thing is uh, it's also a church model question, right? Because, of mm. course, there are models out there, like a missional model church that meets throughout the week and maybe doesn't even meet on a Sunday morning. Or if they do, it's just in a house church situation. So it's like there's a few questions of what is church yes. in this whole conversation. Are you returning to church? But, I again, I go back to I think it's too... Well, let me say two things. I think it's too individualistic to say, I have a relationship with Jesus and that's enough. Because our our faith is a communal faith. We're told biblically to keep on gathering, to study the word together, to break bread together, to be together, never give up on meeting together. Um, I also, on the total other hand, as a pastor's family, it has been nice to have the weekends <laughs> off, Brian. And so part of me understands that impetus. Yeah. Um, but I also, the few times that our church has regathered, oh, it's been so good for it my soul. You know? uh, and I wonder, it's that what you just described there. I hear that from people all the time. When they actually come back, they mm-hmm. go, oh man, it's so, it's so good, good to be together. Like, I like how we've been able to do it kind of earlier than you and be able to do it. But there is something I like about how you guys have done it where it's like, we're all coming back at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because ours has been more gradual, kind okay. of drip and drag, you know, okay. people haven't been comfortable. I do think that once people step back in, they do go, Oh, okay, no, I did miss this. Right, right. But the question is, will they ever come back in the door? Help people understand your model argument there about right. what's the model of church we're talking about. Because there might be a lot of listeners right there going, oh, church is... Church is on a Sunday morning. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open yeah. the door. There, you know, there you <laughs> go. And, are the people. Exactly. And, and that's what church is, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, whatever it might be. And yeah, we get together for some dinners, maybe some special speaker, whatever else it might be. What, help people understand what you mean when you say maybe this is a discussion about the model yeah, of church. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question. You know, there are that, sort of an attractional or traditional model meet, of a church meets on a Sunday morning and does church the way we sort of understand church in America. But of course, like a missional model church or a house model or a cell group model, whatever you want to call it, they will meet in homes or in third spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Coffee shops or pubs or whatever, libraries throughout the week. It's not necessarily in a Sunday morning, but they're breaking bread. They're studying the word. They're living on mission. They're sharing the gospel with their neighbors. And sometimes maybe um, if you're part of a larger body, those those smaller missional communities will gather together on a Sunday morning, but not always. I mean, you know, they're kind of saying, what if we need to do church differently? I don't know. I mean, because it's so ingrained in American society to go to church on Sunday and because historically a lot of uh, faithful people have gone to church on Saturday night Mm -hmm. or on Sunday. I don't know that that will totally change, but it's an interesting question, I think, to consider in your context, different church models, what works and what doesn't. It does. At the very least, I think if you're out there going, I'm one of these people that may never go back, I would have a conversation in your family and uh-huh. go, hey, what, what is church? What's the value? Let's think pre-COVID. What was the value? Yeah. What have we lost? I would talk to your pastor, too, and mm-hmm. just go, because I do think you make a good point. Our, our faith was never meant to be individualistic. It, absolutely not. And uh, that's biblical. That's experiential. That's right. anecdotal. That's, that's all historical, of it. That's historical. That's global. Yeah. It, it is all of it. But COVID has really kind of shaken us all up, and this is one of the ways. So uh, we'd be interested uh, just in your thoughts on that. You can get back to us. You can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Coming up next. We're going to talk about spiritual practices, reading your Bible, praying, journaling. Uh, What do they look like? What makes them difficult? What maybe are some spiritual practices that Aubrey and I really appreciate in our lives that really help us? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. We made it through the week. Can you Woo-hoo! believe it? It's, it's time to celebrate. Feels like it just flew by, but it's good <laughs> it to crazy? be looking at the weekend. Friday. And us as pastors, we, we look towards Sunday a little bit. Yep. And okay, you know, so uh, getting to gather with our people, which is always fun. And uh, hopefully you have a good weekend ahead of you. Aubrey's is filled with food and Disney shows, and mine is filled yeah. with baseball and softball and Those other are good, things. So. All good things. That's right. Absolutely. Speaking of good things, that's a transition right there. <laughs> Wanted to spend some time talking about spiritual practices because, uh, as pastors, but I know I feel this myself sometimes, but a lot of times people will say things like this to me. I believe in all of this. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Like, what am I supposed to do? Because we talk about growing in our faith, yeah. knowing Jesus, kind of these big things. But but like rubber meets the road. Like, And they'll look at me, Pastor. How do you do it? Like, I've got it figured out somehow. And so, uh, you know, I usually uh, talk to them about, you know, kind of kind of my rhythms. But I think that's an important conversation to have. Like, what are spiritual practices, yep. spiritual rhythms uh, that for you, say, kind of grounds you into the faith. It helps you kind of uh, grow in your faith, mm-hmm. be mindful of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully we can leave this portion of the show uh, helping people understand, here's something, maybe try this yeah. or try this. So yeah. how would you answer that question? What are some spiritual practices and rhythms that may be important to you? So I feel like I have some new school ones and some old school new ones. New school ones, okay. Um, this probably aren't new school, actually, at all. I don't know why I phrased it like that. But things like... <laughs> <Cutting> <laughs> <edge>. <laughs> that you've never heard of them before. Reading the Bible. <laughs> this is a complete new one. Are you ready? Taking a day off. <laughs> Sabbath. No, um, I... I, you know, I'm in a good season of life where I can get up early before my kids get up. I could not always do this when my kids were really little. So How early are we talking? Uh, not probably not as early as you. I try to get up around six a.m. because I just That's like a quiet me. house. Oh, it's earlier than you. I thought you were like a five a.m. No, no, guy. no. Oftentimes, this is off the subject. Oftentimes, yeah. I'll wake up at like five forty-five, but I'll stay in bed. For okay, a bit okay. And... So I like to get up at six, have my coffee. I like to journal. Mm-hmm. I like to practice silence where I'm just trying to be quiet and listening for the Lord speaking. Is there something that God has to say to me? I like to read scripture and I do Bible memory. Oh, okay. So that's sort of my, I like to have, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, depending on what the morning is like. Now, I know that's luxurious and not everyone has that this season of life they're in, but those are things are important to me. And then. When I really have time, I like to do um, a practice called holy imagination and New other terms. New <laughs> that was old school. <laughs> Where you're you know, you read through the scripture and you take some time to try to think through what might it have smelled like, what might it have sounded like, oh. what might it ha- just to sort of bring the scripture to life in a new way. That's just a creative practice that I sort yeah. of like. Um Let me ask you a question about yeah. one of them that you said, because yeah, I yeah. think it's one that we hear often and I think it's absolutely important but confusing for people okay so you said i like to you know i journal uh-huh. um and so you know i'm guessing you're kind of just reflecting and journaling on mm-hmm. kind of no oh, let me i'm gonna ask you for about two of yours okay how is journaling different from keeping a diary for you yeah as i punch my microphone <laughs> brian don't do that don't you're a professional don't punch your microphone it's okay calm loose, down loose, loose use of the term right there um so, okay, for me, journaling, I when I'm good at being intentional, I try to think through, and this is a spiritual practice as well, you think through 
when you were perhaps connected to the Lord or um, ob- obedient to God mm-hmm. and when maybe I wasn't, when my attitudes or my perspective or my heart were not in the right place. And just try not to judge yourself, but just go, okay, God, here are the areas of yeah. my day yesterday or here's what I know I'm prone to today and just sort of process those things aloud. Yeah. Sometimes I do just bullet journal, like this cool thing happened. God answered mm-hmm. this prayer. Here's something I'm praying about. Um when I was younger, I created, I had diaries, which were more like today I right, went right, right. and did X, Y, Z. It's a little bit different. It's more like, I, I don't know, I guess, reflecting on my spiritual life with God. So, do you journal? No. I. I have what like, are your, you talk about your spiritual practice. Let me ask you one oh, more oh, and then sorry. I'll do mine. Okay, okay. But I did just come up with a whole segment idea of if you have your old journals, I mean, your old uh, diaries from when you were younger, <laughs> could we do an entire nine minute of just reading random Aubrey Sampson diary? I do have them and no one will see them. <laughs> you may not. Ever. I was a very angsty teenager. So I was, oh, very, I I was really a very emotional them. teenager. No, I really want them. All right. <laughs> Two, the other one that you said that I think is important that I was wanting to get to is listening. Mm, yeah. A lot of us, when we try to listen and we just end up daydreaming, yes. we just end up, what am I listening for? How right. do I actually know if that's God saying right. anything to me? Talk to us about listening. Yes. Listening has been a practice that has taken me a while to mm. get there. And I think you will daydream. You will wonder if it's you or God. You will think about your grocery list. And you just, <laughs> I think the important thing is just to go. Oh, God, here I am again. I'm trying to listen, mm-hmm. but instead of where I'm coming back. And then you just go, you just go back to where you were. Okay, Lord, here I am trying to listen to you. Again. Yeah, yeah. And then your mind is going to wander. And then you just go, oh, well, I mean, you can't beat yourself up. You just be like, oh, Lord, I'm such a silly human. Here I am again. Now I'm coming back. And then in time, I think you'll find that like um, what I have found is that listening is really, really beautiful because the Holy Spirit, I mean, God is active mm-hmm. in our lives. And the Holy Spirit does have things to say. And so maybe it's a scripture that comes to mind, maybe it's a word or a phrase and you're not sure why, but later you're like, Lord, that's why you gave me that word or that mm. phrase. Maybe it's just a, um, sometimes it'll be a connection for me. Like I'm feeling anxious about something and the Lord will reveal maybe the heart of the anxiety. I think it's about one thing. I realize it's about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm like, Lord, Hey, I, there's this issue. I don't have an answer for it. I'm going to put it on the you know metaphorical altar at your feet <laughs> and, and ask that you speak to me about it. And then you're just quiet until the Lord shows up. And sometimes God does and sometimes God doesn't. Right. And I don't know. There's no magic. Just the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But I think attending to God's voice is so important for Christians because it, one, it builds your faith and reminds you like, oh, God is real. And I think it helps you go, oh, the Holy Spirit is in me. The Holy yeah. Spirit does speak. Yeah. And it's not this magical, mystical thing. It's like that sense, that inner voice, however you want to describe it. You go, oh, that's actually God speaking. And mm. that's cool. Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you tell me about your spiritual practices. You know, the one that came to mind for me, and it goes along with your uh, listening and praying. I, I do that best when I'm walking. So mm, I think a lot of people think, good. oh, I've got to be kneeling and quiet. I, I'm really, when you you show much better grace than I do, because I'll beat myself up. I'm like, All right, I'm going to sit down right now and I'm going to pray. And then it's like, I need to make that phone call. Or I wonder how the Mets <laughs> yes. are going to do tonight. Right. Or, yeah, and you're just like, oh, I failed at praying today. Yeah. I can find a lot better focus and a lot, uh, and I can hear God better when I'm outside on a walk. That's great. And so I will just go, there's a park uh, near us where I will go walk around this pond or I'll go walk around uh, these fields and just go around. I know that if I can be active and moving, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I'll pray while I'm walking the dog. Yeah. Uh, and and I find that to be a lot more beneficial for me than just like, okay, 
I'm going to sit down right now yeah. and I'm going to pray. I ask for Bible reading. There's lots of great plans out there, right? Like go to the YouVersion app or whatever it's else. such a great app. Yes. I wouldn't get so hung up on what am I reading as much as get in the habit of reading. There you go. And and then and then start uh, start there and then then start thinking about plans and, you know, other books you can read. You know, I, I'm going to. Uh, you know, you, you look at these plans and then you can kind of nail down, okay, now this is going to guide me. There's so many great guides out there Yes, that the answer to it to why I don't read the Bible can never be, I don't know what I'm going to read. Yeah. There, you have so many options in there. front of you. Yeah. They're yeah. There. That's true. And, and then I'm sure you read the louder song or something as a Some supplement. great book called the louder song by Aubrey Sampson <laughs> available on Amazon, wherever you buy your books. <laughs> just ready to go. We wanted to do this because as pastors, we get this all the time. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And quite frankly, a lot of times I look in the mirror going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do to grow? And so wanted to have just kind of a, a conversation about spiritual practices. Would love to hear back from you. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at common good talk. Well, coming up next, one of our favorite things to do. A good top five, top list. five list. A top five list coming up this time. Uh, a top five musicals that we've ever seen or gone to. We are going to do that top five list next here on The Coming Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson, who off the air I just called Audrey for one of the first times. And I called you Ryan, I so we were even. I thought we were past the Aubrey-Audrey stage, but apparently I am not. So <laughs> You're just getting some, lazy. I'm going to put a big sign up here in the studio that just says Aubrey. With so, a B, capital yes. B. <laughs> really? Right there. Yeah. Right there. So uh, one of the favorite things we've done since we started the show way back, like a month or two ago, uh, is a top five list. So I, I just laugh through these. I don't know if other people enjoy these, but we I enjoy, enjoy them. them. They entertain us. And so that's all that really matters because this show's for us. And so <laughs> uh, we are going to do, you kind of thought of this one. It's the anniversary of the musical Godspell. Broadway's about to open, yes. re, uh, about to reopen for musicals. With that in mind, we are going to do the top five musicals that we have ever seen or attended. It could be seen or attended. Uh, the top five musicals. You're, you have a big smile on your face. You're ready. You struggled with this one. I did not because my number is much more limited here. Uh, but I'm yeah, excited for that. But I'm most excited because right now we get to hear <gasps> the open. Here is the open for top five musicals. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. A musical, a musical, and nothing's as amazing as a musical with song and dance and sweet romance. It's just great. I mean, it just always puts a smile on my face. Puts a smile. Okay. I'll never get tired of it. Let's let's give uh, the parameters here. It's it's our top five musicals that we've either seen. Seen live, you're saying, or watched or like watched. on TV yep. or not something. Not just heard about. I'm not going to be like, yeah. oh, you know, I heard I've never saw Miss Saigon. Or, right. So, okay. Oh, I okay. heard that was good. So okay. uh, top five musicals. You chose this one. Yeah. So would you like to go first? Yeah, I will go first. Uh, oh, we start at number five. So remember? Hard. The yes. ground rules are we start at number five yeah. and we build to number yeah. one. This is this was very hard for me. And you should also know that Aubrey's lists are usually terrible. 
That's hey, you had Marge Simpson <laughs> and Estelle Costanza oh, on your TV oh, mom list. That was so, that was wonderful. So, You're just proving my point right there. All right, my number five uh, Broadway musical is In the Heights. In the Heights. Uh, the first musical by Lynn Manuel Miranda. I've heard it's wonderful. I've never seen it's it. It's awesome. The music's great. There is a movie coming out this summer. Definitely worth watching. Okay. Off to a good start. My number five. I took my then. Oh, no. We were married. Were we married? Anyway, we were either newly married or uh, soon to be married. Okay. I took Carrie to go see Phantom of the Opera. Oh, my sister loves Phantom of the Opera. Do you not that like the Opera? The chandelier opera? comes uh, down. Did you not like Phantom of the I'm Opera? I'm not a huge... Like, oh, my sister yeah, likes that I'm one. I'm not a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. I think I'm just... I don't. I don't know. I, okay. I'm a little bit cynical about some of Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I, you know, <laughs> but it's dramatic. What a line! I'm a, a little bit cynical of Andrew Lloyd Webber. There's a canoe in the. No, there's not a canoe. There's a canal boat in. I think so. In Phantom, I've seen Phantom. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, my number four is uh, this. Actually, I started out liking as a movie when I was growing up, but then it became a musical on Broadway. That is Disney's Newsies. Bronx will be riding. Okay. Yeah, love newsies. Love okay. the dancing and the music and the story. It's fun. So have you seen it as a musical? I have or just seen a movie? it as a musical and a movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. My number four musical, uh, also one that I went with my wife to go see, and that would be Wicked. Love Wicked. That's yeah. on my list too. It yeah. a, it, the ending is a little weird. Like there are moments where you're like, "Wait, what just happened?" Yeah. But the music is so unbelievable. The music is amazing. The performers are. Uh, Did you read the book Wicked that it was based on? The book is phenomenal too. I'm going to let you take a guess at that. Yeah, it would be a no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Wicked. And then I okay. remember when Madeline was like that. She was like two, three years old, and we would always listen to the soundtrack in the car, and so it just got ingrained yeah, in you. yeah. So that soundtrack I loved was Wicked. so good. Okay, um, my number three. This is. I told Brian, I had a couple on my list. When I took off, that's like a little edgy, maybe. Although it's, I mean. It's your list. It's like 90s edgy. So it probably wouldn't seem that edgy now. But um, Rent, which is the okay. new like La Boheme. I have seen Rent probably six times. I love Rent. I don't like the movie version, but I love the stage version. Of so Rent. is Rent considered edgy? I mean, it was back then. I don't know in 2021 if people would still consider it edgy. In what in the world was that word or phrase that you used? La. La Boheme. It, it's an opera about um, like the Bohemians, the artists, and Rent is like the new version of that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I good, that Brian. I didn't read that book either. <laughs> I thought your mom was a French teacher, she Brian. Was, that's going to come into this later. All right. Number three. This is the most questionable okay. for people about whether this is actually a musical. Oh. But I am going to go to, I'm going to fight hard for this one, and I'm going to go with a trilogy here. <laughs> Okay, and this was never really on Broadway per se. Okay. Maybe it is, but but this is very much a movie TV show. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with the movie versions of one, two, and three High School Musical. <laughs> high School Musical. Yes, I wish I could argue with you, but I love High School Musical. And Brian, I've seen High School Musical on stage in downtown Chicago. Beautiful, beautiful. I they play basketball in it. I love 
High School Musical, they were right in the sweet spot, especially of my oldest daughter being young. Yeah. And I would constantly ask wow. her, "Watch, can we watch High School Musical? I have come across High School Musical while flipping the channels with no one else in the house. And you still watched them. And I Which will one's stop your favorite? There. One, two, or three? I think for me it goes one, two, okay, three. Okay, that order. Yeah. And then... Three, three we could have done without. And uh, do you have a favorite song? Uh, <laughs> I get what you're trying to do here. <laughs> I see. Uh, you know, it's so funny. My daughter, uh, Emily, and a friend of hers were watching High School Musical just this weekend, this past weekend, and I kind of stopped and watched with them a little bit. And there's the one where Gabriella is walking, and all of a sudden it's very dramatic, and she's walking in the school right yes. after uh, right after Troy Bolton has kind of like said bad things about her, yes. not really on purpose. Yes. That's the song. <laughs> That's the song. Could no, you sing a few lyrics? What about not. saying a few I will not. I will not. I like the one where in number two, where Zac Efron has kind of a Michael Jackson moment. He's on the golf course. It's uh, like a worse song and he's dancing, but it's amazing. I'm not gonna stop that. We talk about that song all (laughs) the time. Bad on it, bad on it. Yeah. That's it, right? But it sounds like he's saying bad on it. But he's like, Cos- <laughs> yeah, he's like, do so it. It's his Michael Jackson moment. You and I have a mutual friend we discussed uh, over lunch, and his name is Dan Moss. He's a yes. good friend of mine. And yeah. Dan and I would mock and sing that song all the time. <laughs> our daughters were oh, the same, same age. age. Oh, oh it's amazing. now you're going to get me singing. High School Musical, my number three. I am, I am very happy that's on your list. All right, I my number two was it. on your list already. My number two is Wicked. I love okay. Wicked. Yeah, very epic, very fun. Okay. Okay, my number two, and one and two, far out distance, three, four, and five gotcha. for me. Okay. One and two are way up there. Number two, I have probably seen, this is really like a one and one A for me. Uh, I've probably seen it 10 times. My mom it used to be a high school French teacher, and we would go see this. She would teach it in her class. I tagged along a couple times because she would end the year taking the kids to Broadway to see this. I took my future wife there on Broadway. I took my daughter to see this in South Bend, Indiana. I will see this as many times as I can. That musical is Les Mis. Amazing! I could watch that if you yeah. if you said it was in town and I could see it every night. Yeah. I would see it every night. I'm I sort of wishing I would have put Les Mis on my list now because it Honorable is phenomenal. Mention. Honorable mention, Les Mis. It's phenomenal. It is so good. Les Mis, High School Musical three. That's it for you. <laughs> wow, that's the list. <laughs> Your list is diverse, Brian. I like it. it All is. right, are you ready for my number one? I and have then a we'll feeling I, we're going to have the same number. I think one. we are too. I have a few honorable mentions as well. Should I say those first? Sure. Okay. Sure. So I'll add Les Mis. I'm okay. going to go Lion King. I haven't seen it, but I love and, the Disney. Um, I'm going to go Spring Awakening, which is another kind of edgy one. I, I really like the music from that. And then this is not a favorite musical because it's Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I have a good story. Quick. I'll be quick. Go. Um, when I was little, my mom made me read all of the T.S. Eliot poems called Cats, Different Cats. And my mom made me read the poems, and then she took me to see the Broadway musical. Now, I don't like the musical, but because I had read the poems, the world of the show opened up to me, and it was this marvelous experience. I will never forget it. So Cat Sticks in my memory is really meaningful, but I don't actually like it. Everyone is like... Does everyone that make has sense? seen Cats, yeah. or was the longest running, and I've yet to meet a person who liked it. Yeah, it's... 
it's not great. Yes, but, I've yet to meet but a person. the poems coming to life, that was very powerful. So a bit anticlimactic because I think we have the no- same number I bet one. We do. Should we say it at the same time? Yeah. One, two, three. High Hamilton. Three. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hamilton was my number one as well. <laughs> Hamilton. I mean. It's just It's unstoppable. Yeah. It is yeah. breathtaking and it's going to come back. I did tell you off the air and I'll tell the story another day. I actually got a chance to golf one day with the man who played Hamilton in Chicago and the guy who played King George. So I'm very jealous of that. My one, you know, this my one big problem with Hamilton is I don't he did not write the women well. They only talk about Hamilton. The women don't have much of their own storyline. They yeah, sure until they do. I, well, well, when like he the dies. Of the movie is when he wife. dies. But she's the one who carries on the yeah, no. Yeah, his legacy. Uh, she the whole they all they do is talk about Hamilton. There's not a scene where they're not talking about wanting a man or Hamilton. So that's my one but I love it. I Can love I just, it, I love it, I love it. Just to argue this point and then we gotta go. Okay, yeah. What's the name of the musical? My name is Alexander Hamilton. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> Not Hamilton's wife. Not, it was called Hamilton. <laughs> Not Skylar Sisters. They should get their own musical. I do love the Skylar Sisters. They're great. So that's our top five list. Top five musicals. Where's High School Musical fall in your list? <laughs> Not does it, but where does it? Go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next... Just 16% of millennials classify themselves as born-again Christians. What do we make of that new data that's come out? We're going to have that discussion next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, just 16% of millennials classify as born-again Christians. What do we make of that statistic? And then we're joined by Dr. Caroline Leaf as we talk about anxiety, stress, and toxic thinking. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. So I was reading this at Christian Headlines, and I want you to hear this statistic, because I think there's there's some nuance to this. There's some layering to okay, this, but okay. there was a study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, uh, what they're calling a, quote, seismic generational shift between the worldviews of older Americans and younger Americans, also known as millennials. Here's what the research says. Uh, it found that millennials ages 18 to 36, those are little kids, right? Like you and I are much older than this, those youngins. <laughs> 18 to 36 18 to 36, wow. when compared with the older generation, 55 and over. So you and I, we can talk about this because we're neither. We we're keep right getting in the middle. skipped. We're always Gen Xers. They don't even include us. That yep. They are significantly less likely to hold the traditional biblically-based teachings, including the nature of God, original sin, salvation, creation, life after death, human purpose, and biblical morality. That says a lot. Wow. Uh, But then also, here's one of the big ones that they found here. Only 16% of millennials consider themselves to be, quote, unquote, born again Christians. Uh, 40% of people 55 and over identify as born again Christians, whereas 16% of millennials, alternatively, younger Americans, this study says, were more likely to hold to a, quote, moral or therapeutic deism, which has been deemed 
a counterfeit version of Christianity, more centered on self than on God. So there's a lot of stats in here, but some of that jumps out here. And I, I want to hone in on, okay, if we take that younger generation. Right. Saying, you know what, I'm not a born or 16 percent saying I'm, quote unquote, born again Christian. How much of a red flag warning is this for us? How much of this, though, then or is it just about labels? Is it just about what that means? Yeah. Tell us what you do with some of this data that we're seeing. Right. I feel like this is a hard this is a hard one because the phrase born again Christian is not a phrase that like we even use at our church, renewal Mm -hmm. church. I think generationally generationally am i saying that right that word would be generationally <laughs> just adding syllabuses here and there it's friday afternoon what can syllabuses. you say you mean syllables <laughs> you just take over right just start over it's friday Ooh, i clearly need that some coffee funny. and uh you know a night off okay um all right at renewal let church. me start that over yes. we don't we don't use necessarily the phrase born again christian but that's a phrase i grew up hearing in southern baptist church i would call myself a born again christian mm-hmm. um so part of me is like is it the is it the phrase itself and are are this younger generation using a different phrase just i'm a christian or mm-hmm. i follow jesus or i'm a disciple of jesus but then i think the second problem is what seems to be happening is there's a generation of Christians that are no longer following sort of what we would consider the historic Orthodox Mm -hmm. global Christianity. They're blending maybe different belief systems or different worldviews into Christianity and calling that following Jesus. And I think some of it's probably right. I mean, that's the hard thing is there. The next generation is probably seeing some things we did wrong and pointing us in the right direction. But when you lose things like, what was that list that you read? Like nature of God, original nature sin, of God, salvation. salvation, creation, life, <laughs> human purpose, and biblical morality. I mean, you don't have much. Left. I, yeah, what's what's left? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so I think let's take the phrase "born again Christian." Okay. For me, when I see that, I think some of that is tied into. Um, I think it's tied into politics, like everything mm-hmm. else in our world is. You hear evangelical, but you also hear the born-again evangelicals or the born-again Christians yeah. are all X. They all believe this. And I think that what we know right. about the millennial generation is they want to reject those labels, those political yep. ties that say, yep. okay, if you're telling me born-again Christians are not just followers of Jesus, that they're also all Republican yeah. or they're all this— and I don't want to be that, then I know I'm going to reject that title. Like you said, maybe I'll take on a different title. Does yeah. it necessarily mean that they're rejecting Jesus? It might mean they're rejecting the title. With that said, uh, you know, and boarding in Christian, for some of you who are out there going, where does that even come from? It's Jesus's own words. Yeah. when He says you must be born again. Right. Uh, but I would also say that what you said, that list, and again, every survey Take it for what it's worth, yeah. right? These aren't, this isn't gospel here. This isn't like, oh my gosh, no millennials believe in God or original right, sin. Right. But it might be talking about a trajectory that should be worrisome to pastors, to parents, to mm-hmm. why would it be that our, you know, uh, that generation, I mean, you and I were youth pastors of this generation. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, I don't know if you see this, I see this often on the social media feeds of, uh, they're not kids anymore, young adults mm-hmm. who were in my youth group that I led, you know, sometimes they're just killing it and they're following Jesus. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but let's be honest. A lot of them aren't. A lot aren't. And you're just like, what in the world yeah. is going on? Because yeah. when I look back at my youth group from my generation, 
we could all be in different spots doing different things, but by and large, we're all still in the still church and we're Jesus, all still in so this. Faithful church so what folk. do we farm out of this? What do we take from this? Because there is a red flag in here. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you hit on it about that list about moral therapeutic mm-hmm. deism, which is basically saying, um, you know, it, it's this version of Christianity that kind of focuses more on yourself right. than on God. Right. What makes, you know, what's going to help my life? What's going to help this? So what is the learning curve? What do we learn from this? What do we do with this? I think there's two options. You can kind of like shake your fist and be like, the next generation, they're falling apart. The country's going to hell in a handbasket or whatever. I never think that's helpful. Mm-mm. I think instead you go, okay, what is the opportunity? What are the longings of the next generation? And how does the gospel meet those longings? Because we know that the gospel meets the longings of every generation. Right. And we know that God is not surprised by this generation. We know that this generation is not worse than any other generation, even though sometimes we want to act like it is. And so I think you have to uh, build bridges, build relationships and go, okay, what is the longing? What is this? What are Gen Z millennials longing for? And then how does the gospel answer that? And let's find new creative ways to present the gospel. Let's find new creative ways to frame some of these conversations, not at all getting rid of orthodoxy or what's true. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying keep those things. But if it's, if it's, politics are the problem then we don't i mean let's stop combining right. politics and christianity let's get back this is what i think is actually beautiful about this generation they do i think want a pure faith where they encounter the goodness and the power and the life-changing spirit of god i do think they're Amen. longing for that and so um let's ask that god would give us as the older generation wisdom mm-hmm. To present and display and live a gospel that is that compelling. You just called us the older generation. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. <laughs> I mean, you, Brian, the older generation. I know, so old, you know, obviously. So old. Hey, I want to end this time with uh, just, I want you to hear from a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler. I, we talked, I played some stuff from him last week. I want to end here talking about, he talked about how do we refute moral therapeutic deism. Just listen to some of this. Man, I'm a big believer in um, just catechizing and and walking through a catechism with uh your family or your children so i love the new city catechism curriculum uh that the gospel coalition put out keller was involved in that it's engaging and it's updated and it's going to teach them kind of orthodox christian belief in, mm-hmm. in a way that that i think is engaging and and built for the time in which we live um, I, I think, secondly, uh, just ongoing conversations. I would just redeem every car ride you're ever in uh, with your kid. I mean, it's not long till they have their own car, and then you're hardly ever doing that anymore. But if you've got what we call windshield time, I would take advantage of windshield time any and every time you possibly could. Anyway, I thought that was a good way to end. Yes. Just talk about the lot of wisdom. what is moral therapeutic deism and how do we speak to it? Well, uh, we'd love to know what you think. Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Dr. Caroline Leaf, author of a new book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. We're going to talk to her about how do we do that? How do we reduce anxiety, stress, these things that so many of us are struggling with? We're going to do that next with Dr. Caroline Leaf here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined 
by the author of a new book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. She's also the host of a popular plot podcast called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. That is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Caroline, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for inviting me. How are you all doing? We are doing doing wonderful. We are doing great, and we're glad to have you on. Hey, before we start talking about your book, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I am a cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist, and what that is is someone who has uh, researched the mind-brain connection for nearly 38 years now. Mm. I worked in clinical practice for 25 years, and I've been doing research for 38 years on trying to understand the mind and the brain and the difference between the mind and the brain and how do we control this and what are thoughts and memories and how do we deal with mental health and emotions, all those all those kinds of things. So it's, it's been a 38-year journey mm. and a um, very exciting one. Oh, it's so fascinating, Dr. Leaf. So we're coming out of the pandemic here, and what we're hearing, what it seems like is there's a lot of anxiety and stress mm-hmm. and that toxic thinking right now. So I think your book is just so perfect, so timely. Talk to us about why mental health matters, especially for such a time as this. Well, I think that mental health matters, you know, it's a great question, and mental health matters at any stage. So since the beginning of time, mankind has battled with mental, with mental, with their mind. Mm-hmm. So it's not anything unusual. It's just every generation goes through some kind of challenge. So, mm-hmm. you know, we happen to have faced the pandemic, but there's been wars, there's been, I mean, every, you know, everyone can talk about something that they have faced. So what I like to do is change the whole narrative. Instead of saying that mental health is on, ill health is on the rise, and, you know, it's kind of a whole scale thing. There's a whole scary thing around mental illness and it's a brain disease and it's on the rise. There's always something new happening. And it's not new. It's something that's been around since the beginning of time. It's ancient. Mm. People have always battled with their minds because bad things have always happened. And we have free will as, as humans, so we make bad choices. We, you know, so I try and explain this in a very, very different way and look at, and if you look at the scientific backing of what I say, it's honestly 150 years of modern research and then years and years and years and years, thousands of years of ancient research mm. confirm that the mind and the brain are two separate things. Mm. They work together. The mind is our, basically our sort of spiritual soul part of us. It's the biggest part of us. It's the difference between being alive and dead. Mm. And, it, and the brain and the body are how we express. And it's the connection between the mind, brain, and body, wow. which enables us to be able to express ourselves as humans. And we build thoughts with our minds. And our minds are how we experience life. Without a mind, you can't experience life. Wow. So every moment that you're awake, you're experiencing life through your mind and converting that through your mind into the brain as physical thought trees made of proteins that look like trees in the garden. Hmm. And these trees basically, um, are, the roots are the experiences of life and the branches are the interpretation of those experiences. Hmm. And um, so, you know, we, we have a toxic experience, we build these toxic thoughts into our brain. And if we have a healthy experience, we build healthy thoughts into our brain. <sighs> And, you know, that's what, it's a, and it's a process that is not spoken about enough. We, we kind of have this thing of, oh, mental health and depressions and illness. Meanwhile, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, all these things are symptoms or warning signals of an underlying cause. It's mm. life. And all of us experience it. It's not just 4% of people experiencing depression. All of us experience depression, anxiety, panic attacks, obviously to varying degrees because we have different experiences. Right. But let's level the playing field. Let's be honest. Let's all accept that we battle. And let's help each other and understand how to manage our minds. Mm. So okay. that's, that's the narrative of, of what I teach and research and write about and so on. 
Fascinating. Caroline, uh, like you said, if, um, you know, the point of your book is to help reduce anxiety, stress, toxic thinking, and, and you give five simple steps, what would be the first step? If somebody out there right now is going, I'm overwhelmed, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, whatever else it might be, what is kind of step number one that you would encourage people to do? Okay, so great question too. And the first thing I would just, if I may just step back and to get your mind prepared, it's so important that you prepare your brain, which is different from your mind as I've been saying, mm-hmm. and your body yeah. and your mind. So the, the way you come into dealing with yourself and your mind as humans, the way we do is, is with a lot of kindness. So the first thing is to be kind to oneself and to recognize, hey, we all go through this. Mm. And the second thing, second sort of mindset or attitude coming into the into the five-step process, so be kind. And the second thing is that we all battle, so this is part of being human. And then the third thing is that if you look at all the warning signals like depression, anxiety, pain in your gut, uh, changes in your behavior, changes in your perspective of life, all of those, if you see them as warning signals rather than a brain illness, which they're not. The science is very clear that they're not brain illnesses. Hmm. The brain will be affected. I mean, your brain does get changed. You, 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 every, every toxic thought, your brain changes. But the source is not your brain. The source is the experience. And so if the source is the experience and the mind is how we process the experience, then what we need to do is recognize that we make a mess. That's why I talk about messy mind. Hmm. And that's okay. That's part of the experimentation of life. Is it's, it's one big kind of experiment. And so it's okay to have a mess in mind but we need to manage it so the neurocycle then is how we is the five-step process that is a system that i've developed over meticulous research over 38 years and clinical application for 25 years and and longer actually um, on how to actually do this so the very first thing that you would do then is to have those that you know kind everyone battles with this it's not an illness it's okay that mindset very important because the minute you approach it like that you you change 1,400 neurophysiological responses in wow. your brain and your body. You increase your resilience and you can't have a completely different setup. Versus if you say, oh, I'm having a panic attack, there's something wrong with me, I've got a brain disease, I've got clinical depression, that will make 1,400 neurophysiological responses work against you and you've already like almost shot yourself in the foot before you've even started. Mm. So I always like to tell people the way you approach this is very important. The second thing is you have to prepare your brain. Your brain is a physical organ. It needs to have enough oxygen and blood flow and brain waves flowing correctly. So a two to three minute brain preparation, which could be breathing, meditation, anything like that, just to sort of calm down your chaos in your in, in your brain from toxic experiences mm. is really important to do. And I give lots of examples in the book and in, in the app, the NeuroCycle app that goes with the book. And then the very first step is to gather awareness. And the words are so, so important that I'm saying here. Gather. I haven't just said be aware. There's so much about mindfulness and awareness. Mindfulness is just being aware of what's going on in your body. You have to go beyond that. You have to go be mindful of what you are actually, all the warning signals. So it's basically taking the time to sit down and to actually evaluate the patterns in your life. Gather awareness. I think of it like this. If you were going into an apple orchard and you were going apple picking, you would have a basket and you would select your apples and put them in your basket. Mm. That's how you do, that's how you do step one. You stand back with your messy mind, giving yourself all this acceptance that I spoke about in kindness, and then recognize that you have a wise mind. We all have this inner core wisdom. We call it the optimism bias in neuropsychology. We call it the wise full of um, design in neuroscience. We call it being made in God's image and spirituality. It's basically this inner core of wisdom that we have. We're using it now as we have this discussion. Everyone has it. Mm-hmm. We just need to develop it. So you come into the thing saying, gathering awareness, but 
it's not just you, it's you accepting your messy mind because that's part of life. It's totally okay. It's experimental. Can't control people or events or circumstances. This is what it is. This is the pattern. This is the depression. This is the anxiety. This is the situation. And you're gathering. And that, so the, that attitude, you then start gathering. What can I deal with today? I pick that apple. Hmm. So you start at the top of the tree and that you gather awareness of your signals. So gathering awareness, step one, is all the context I've just painted, but it's gathering. It's you pick what you can handle today. And it's four categories of gathering that you do. Four categories of apples, if you want to put it that way. Mm. And the first one is the emotional warning signals. So it's like um, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, frustration, or all, all of the above. Maybe you pick four apples. Maybe you pick one. You do this over 21 days. You don't, I mean, over 63 days. You don't do it in just one day. Okay. Okay. If, you de- if you detoxing trauma, it takes time. So it's just going to be a quick fix thing. And then you would gather, gather awareness of your, your physical warning signal. What's going on in your body? When we, store, when we experience something, not only do we store it in our brain physically as these protein tree-like structures, but we also store it in the DNA of our body and we store it in the gravitational fields of our mind. And that's moving, so it's in three places. So your body will also experience signals. And any kind of signal is like an alarm wakes you up. It's, it's meant to say, hey, there's something going on. So when I say gather awareness of depression, gather awareness of your body, maybe GI symptoms, maybe tension in your heart palpitations, tension in your shoulders, um, gather awareness of your behaviors, maybe you're withdrawing, maybe you're overthinking, um, gather awareness of your perspective, maybe you're looking at life and saying life sucks. Those mm-hmm. are four apples you would have picked. You're gathering awareness in this objective way of saying, okay, you, you use the word you, not I, it's wise mind with messy mind, and you picking out these things to try and start creating what's going on in my life. What is the pattern? And it's ordered, it's organized, it's systematized. That's the whole process of, you know, that's obviously the other four steps. And right. it's very specific. Very, I'm giving you a very quick overview. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, she is the author of the new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. She's also the host of the popular podcast called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And Caroline will also be speaking at the B Church Conference on Friday, July the 30th at Community Christian Church in Naperville. To get tickets for that one-day conference, you can go to bechurchconference.com. Again, that's B, B-E, bechurchconference.com. And so, Caroline, you're going to be in our neck of the woods right out here at the B Church Conference. Uh, what, are you, what, what can people expect to hear from you if they sign up for that conference? What will you be sharing at the B Church Conference? Well, in a nutshell, how to clean up your mental mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which, which is applying to all of us. There isn't anyone who's exempt. So it's nice to know that we all have a messy mind and everyone battles and it's totally normal. Yeah. And how to manage that. What is mind management, which is um, basically managing our mental mess, accepting that and tuning into our wise mind. So I'm going to explain the process like we've gone through it really quickly in the first half. I'll be explaining the process. I'll be showing some scientific studies, showing what's mm. happening in your brain, mm. how to do this. So essentially what I'm teaching in terms of, if you want it in terms of a scriptural side, is I'm teaching the science of how to bring all thoughts into captivity and renew your mind. Mm. And that's essentially because you say that, but what do you, how do you do it? Right. So I'm going to be explaining the how do you do it? How do you get that depression and anxiety under control? And I'll be showing that with my research, what I've demonstrated is that we are empowered to be able to um, get our thinking um, to get to get control over our thoughts, which then enables us to get control over depression and anxiety and toxic thinking and burnout and overwhelm by up to eighty one percent, which is wow. phenomenal. I mean, wow. that's without any medication shows the power of the mind 
we, you know, when we understand this, when we learn this, it's such a vital skill, just not spoken about enough. When you do that, we completely change how we function. Mm-hmm. So good. Caroline, I'm thinking of a listener right now who might just be feeling overwhelmed with stress and anxiety for whatever reason, whatever, you know, whatever they're going through right now. Do you have some type of word of encouragement for them or something that you would have them sort of grab onto to begin to take back control like you're talking about here? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is to, to realize that, um, you, you know, that what you're feeling is okay. I think it's so important. You know, the minute you tell yourself, okay, this is okay, there's a reason. There's a reason why I feel like this, why I'm showing up like this. You immediately do that, that 1,400 neurophysiological response thing. So as soon as you tell yourself, hey, it's okay, um, there's a reason I feel like this. You, um, for example, one of the things that will happen is that your blood vessels around your heart will dilate, so you'll get more blood and oxygen flowing to your brain, and that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. You'll drop cortisol levels, you'll drop homocysteine levels. I mean, you, you, even your telomeres and your DNA will change. So you then automatically have more resilience. So it's really that's so important, and to be kind to yourself. I cannot tell you how that changes the physiology of the brain. It's unreal. People don't realize that. Wow. So that's the first thing. But people are really good at beating themselves up and seeing themselves as the cause or, you know, going into victim mentality and blaming others. And all of those can really help, you know, facilitate more negativity. So feeling overwhelmed is a very common thing. It's okay. Give yourself that time to accept it. And then there's a a little bit of brain preparation you can do on the spot that helps to reduce neurochemical chaos. And that is if you breathe in for three counts and then you breathe out for seven. But be very forceful with the seven, like you're really pushing it out. It almost will give you a slight sort of lightheadedness feeling between your eyes. Mm. And if you repeat, if you repeat that six to nine times, that's the that's more or less a minute to a minute and a half. You don't have to do that often. You can, I mean, that much. You can do it once for ten seconds. You can do it just depending on how overwhelmed you feel in the moment. Um, as you're doing that, though, you are giving your your brain a chance to adjust to the to the thoughts that are moving through your brain and, and creating a neurochemical chaos from the overwhelm. So the thoughts of, I can't do this, this is too much, this is making me crazy. So you're kind of triaging as they would do in a medical situation where you triage, where you work out what's the most, let's do the most, a life before, a leg before, limb, that kind of, limb before life, sorry. Um, life, I said the wrong way around, life before limb. In other words, yeah. you <laughs> what? Yeah, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is you cannot think when you're in a state of, of high anxiety. Mm. So the most important thing is to get yourself calm. And there's many different ways. But that breathing, three in, seven out, just counting it alone, the counting process and the breathing, it will immediately reduce the neurochemical chaos in the brain. So that combo, um, it's, it's okay, I can feel like this, it's totally normal, um, there's a reason I feel like this, let me breathe, and then you can start gathering awareness of of that and, and go through the, the rest of the process of the neurocycle. But those three steps alone will just, you know, those three things that I've mentioned alone will, will help a lot. So good. Uh, and, and talk to us about the role of community. Why is friendship important or being part of a church community? What is the role of others in our lives as we battle things like anxiety and depression? Well, because you all battle anxiety and depression to different degrees, isn't anyone who's exempt? If you're human, you're going to battle. Mm-hmm. We need each other as a support system. We need to, we need each other to normalize it. We need each other to listen. The, the research shows, and I mean, we don't even need research to, to show this because it's evident. When you're feeling down and someone tells you, hey, 
I understand, I don't understand what you're going through, but I'm here yeah. for you. I, you're not alone. You know, right. you're important. You're valuable. I hear you. I see you. You, it changes how you see yourself. We, we, you know, there's a quantum physicist. Um, quantum physics is a fantastically spiritual and accurate and fundamental um, form of um, science. And it's the most fundamental and accurate of sciences. And there's a, there's a saying in quantum physics that, that says it's not about you, it's about you in the world. Mm. And, that's, and, and they actually show with very interesting experiments about how we enhance each other. So I teach a lot about enhancement versus competition. And that is uh, vital to recognizing we're not in competition with each other because there's something you can do that no one else can do. And once you get the competition mentality out and we get the enhancement mentality in and recognize we're there to help each other and support each other, that changes things tremendously. It increases our intelligence, our resilience, etc. But just the act of helping someone else and supporting someone else mm -hmm. increases your own physical health. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable wow. by like 68%. Like 68%. So, you know, and we see with also research showing that if you just focus on yourself and you cut other people out and it's just all about me, myself, and I, mm. you increase your chance of cardiovascular issues by 42% in the wow. next 12 months. You know, so it's, it's not about I. It's about me in the world. It's about enhancement. It's about waves, the waves of, of energy that we, that we generate. Einstein's mm. work is, um, is about when two waves hit each other, they, they get bigger. But when so you want to enhance each other versus cancel each other out. I love that. Dr. Leaf, where can our listeners find you, find your research, connect with you, maybe even find out about the app? Tell us how we can find all things Dr. Caroline Leaf. Oh, thank you. It's, um, my, my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf, and from there they can get to everything. My webpage is drleaf.com, and also my, uh, my Peeing Up Your Mental Messages and my podcast. And the app is called Neurocycle, and that's available to iTunes and Google Play. And it's really nice. To, it really, I really walk you through that therapy. Me walking you through this process of mind management. Awesome, Dr. Caroline Leaf, again, author of the new book, "Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess: Five Simple, Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking." We would encourage you to go get that book. As she said, it's a very timely book and one that we all could use. You can also listen to her popular podcast, "Cleaning Up the Mental Mess." Uh, go find the app, also the NeuroCycle app. And again, uh, Dr. Leaf will be speaking at the B Church Conference on Friday, July the 30th at Community Christian Church in Naperville. So to get tickets, uh, there's all sorts of people. Uh, Dr. Leaf will be there, Tony Valdez, Daryl Strawberry, former Major League Baseball player, Carlos Whitaker, and others will be at that conference. To get tickets, go to, the, go to com. That's bchurchconference.com. Caroline, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much. You asked excellent questions, and I hope it helped people. Oh, we appreciate that, and I'm sure that it did. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. I caught you. You're eating candy. I'm Stop. eating grape. I'm eating, I'm eating grape candy. <laughs> if you remember Brian. the top five list from a few weeks ago. Aubrey's favorite candy is anything grape flavored, and here in the radio business, right? Like you, you, you got to catch each other when you're when you're eating. Well, and our lovely producer, after I was gone on vacation last week, mm -hmm. I came back and she had some grape candy for me. Yes. So I'm still eating it. Yes. 
So we like to end every show with a little bit of uh, inspiration and, and some challenge and some encouragement. And this one might seem to be a strange way to do it. So let me set okay. up the background because this was kind of my idea. I want to do it with an obituary. Oh, interesting. And you're like, hey, here's a happy way to end That's your depressing. week. Let's read somebody's <laughs> obituary, right? Uh, but I saw this on Twitter. It's a guy by the name of Bruce Garlow who passed away uh, on April the 23rd of this year. And here's what makes this obituary really interesting and really worth talking about is that he wrote it himself. No way. So Bruce Garlow, he died after a uh, from complications of kidney disease. Uh, But literally, it starts this way. He's from this is in England. And he says, my name was Bruce Garlow, long in Beckett, but recently of 45 Paul Dr. Lee Drive. I don't even know Paul Drive Lee. I'm not sure how they say it in England. But he says, I died at 72 due to complications of kidney disease on Friday, April 23rd, 2021. Not quite what I planned when I moved into our new home only seven months ago, but there you have it. And that's the first. He goes on to talk about his own life. I don't know why I found this so fascinating. I read this multiple times, Like, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing groundbreaking in it. Uh, but he talks about his own life, his greatest interest, his loves, his family, uh, his some funny things about wow. himself, what he did. Uh, and he ended it this way. Uh, he says, we don't need another funeral. There's already been enough of those lately, so mm. we won't be having one. Instead, there's going to be one heck of a memorial party later in the summer. That's awesome. Stay tuned for an invite. Uh, he get, tells people where they can uh, give for him. Oh, he's from Massachusetts. I misread that. He's from Massachusetts. Uh, and then he ends it this way. Goodbye, everyone, and be well. It was a little short, but it was a great run. <laughs> wow. I don't know why I was fascinated by this, because uh, there's not much. You don't see this often. Yeah, you don't see people writing But you get own. a glimpse into this guy's heart in his own obituary, right? Normally, we write people's obituaries for them, and right. it's just everything wonderful and right. this and that. Right. And so I thought we would end this way. Uh, legacy. So he's yes. speaking. He's able to leave one more thing to the world That's and neat. say, this is what I want to share. This is kind of the legacy I want to leave. And he does it with humor and he talks about politics and some yeah. other things. Uh, so let's uh, I hopefully, Aubrey, this turns inspirational. If you had this ability and going, hey, I get <sighs> to write, even if it was 50 years from yeah. now. Right. Uh, and you're like, hey, I'm going to write my own obituary. I mm-hmm. want to leave a legacy. What are some of the things mm-hmm. that you think you're a writer to? What mm-hmm. would you say in something like this? I actually, so I just took a grad school class called Personal Leadership and Development. And this was actually one of our assignments. We had to write not quite an obituary, but what would you want on your tombstone? What mm. would you want people saying at your funeral? Which did at first feel a little bit, I don't know, intimidating or, or dark or whatever. But it was really meaningful because if you do take sort of a long-term view of your life, then it helps you be more intentional about the days right. you have now. And That's right. for me, it came back to a couple things. I, of course, want my family and my friends to know that I love them deeply mm. and unconditionally and all those things, which when I think about it, I don't do that perfectly. But that is what you want, that people around you felt loved. And then I hope I just really... Um, compassion i hope i met people with compassion and empathy and i hope that i proclaim the name of jesus mm-hmm. any chance that i could in a way that was helpful and not hurtful yeah, you yeah. know those were like the three big ones for me um, yeah. what about you when you think about this i think i want uh i want to be able to say with uh certainty i loved my family well yeah like i had my priorities set up yeah 
Uh, it made me think when you said the tombstone thing, it does make me be- like remember that poem called The Dash, right? Like we don't pick, for many of us, we don't pick, or for all of us, we don't pick the date at the beginning of our tombstone, the date at the end of our tombstone, but it's kind of that dash mm, in between the two, that year, can, the two dates yeah. that it, that's your life. Yeah. And so, and the whole point of the poem, The Dash, is basically... Like make the most of the dash. Like that's what you've got. You don't. You're not promised another year. So I guess in my obituary, I'd want there to be a legacy of like, I had my priorities straight, and so I'd want to talk about how I just Good. loved my family. Yeah, and and that that's enough for me, right? And, yeah. and also, but like you said, also that I represented Jesus well, and that I loved Him with all my heart, mind, and soul, and that people understood that when they came in contact with uh, yeah. with me. Yeah, uh, and then I'd want to be funny. I think I'd want to tell yeah, some jokes. Yeah, that's good. Like, you don't want to be like... No, you'll uh, have to laugh. You, you want, want people... Laugh. Although sometimes I'll tell Kevin, like, I want, like... I want you dressed in all black. I want you weeping. I want sa- I want mourning at my funeral, which isn't really, is which is not really true. I do, I do want laughter and celebration. As I, well. I once had the thought if I if I knew that again, this is getting a little dark. But if I want, if I knew that I was like going to die like this guy yeah. did, I think I'd film a video and ask him to play it at my uh, funeral. Oh, I think that's, there's something to that. Kevin's grandpa recorded himself singing hymns and oh, and boy. had them play that at his funeral, and it was. I, I think mean, it I'd was sweet, but humor. kind of funny. I yeah, think I'd go yeah, for humor. Yeah, I think people would like that. I think you want your legacy to match who you actually are and what you are. You want so, it to be your personality. All right, so we're heading into the weekend. Yep. What is one step for someone who's like, I'm kind of blowing this? Like, mm. it's uh, what, what's the idea? What What do we do with this? Because we all preach sermons about yeah. legacy and yeah. this and that. But what, what is uh, what What can we do to kind of hone in and kind of get this right? That's good. I I mean, learning from our guest today, Dr. Caroline Leaf. One, be kind yourself we all mess up and we all don't always do the things we want to do even paul talked about in the scriptures i don't do the things i want to do i do the things i don't want to do so be kind to yourself and then i do think it is worth taking some time to evaluate what do i want people to say about me at my 80th birthday party if you don't want to think about your funeral think about your 80th birthday party what do i want people to say about me and then start small and pick one thing be intentional about it and do it Mm -hmm. i mean there's no simpler way to say it get to work do the things you want to do Live the way you want to live. And um, I think, I, I, I don't know if that's a word for all of us it on this Friday. It sounds so simplistic, but I, I remember telling somebody or maybe saying it in a sermon, like how you want to be remembered, that's only going to get accomplished if that's how you actually live. Yeah, that's good. So think about how do I want to be remembered and start orienting your life in that way. Don't be yeah. like, I want to be remembered as the greatest family man and then ignore your family. Right, right. Don't be like, oh, I want to be this passionate follower of Jesus and then not Not give follow it. Jesus. Exactly. So <laughs> right. it's not rocket science. It's just hard. Yeah. And uh, and so I thought this would be a fun way to end. Good. This guy wrote his own obituary. I love it. Yeah, I would go for jokes. You can find it at legacy.com, by the way, if you want to read it. That's right. You can find it there. All right. The week is over. Hey, you, you survived a week after vacation. Those are always the hardest weeks. It always it is. It's kind of a letdown week, so you need a week to recover. So now I'm officially recovered. I guess I have no excuses yeah. next week. So you are going to be rolling next That's week. That's right. Just, Wait till Monday, we are gonna, everybody. We are going to get peak Aubrey Sampson <laughs> next week. Come back and join week. us Monday from 4 to 6. That's right. We are glad that you joined us today and all week. Have a great weekend as Aubrey said join us again monday from four until six for aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. you've been listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life